you are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. Well, um, one day I would like to finish the two books I started. You are listening to a night dream. The night dream podcast. The Whistling Man You begin your week like any other, a walk to the shop to buy juice and milk, lovely. You pay for the juice and milk on card. For a moment you worry that the payment won't go through. It does. As you leave the store you see a man, or rather hear him. He's whistling a fun, tuneless tune. How fun, you think to yourself as you rush home. The cold milk's burning your hand and you curse yourself for leaving the shopping bags at home again. Ha ha. Oh well. The whistling is now a faint memory. You turn up the oven and start enjoying your weekend. It's over before you can say, the oven's hot. Another great weekend. You wake up bleary-eyed, shower, and soon leave for work. And as you walk past the cafe by the station, you hear it again. This time, a lower, fouler whistle. The culprit sits with his back to you, drinking a latte. You can still hear his whistling on the train platform. As you wait for your chance to get on a busy train, the whistling never stops. Weeks, then months pass, and still he whistles. You beg your partner to be the one to get the orange juice this time, and instead they offer to come with you. The streets by the station are empty. You think the coast is clear, but then he walks around the corner, whistling, Happy Birthday. How does he know what you yourself have been driven to forget? It can never be a happy birthday again, you think. You sit uneasily on the floor and begin unwrapping presents. Industrial-grade ear defenders. A smiling man operating a large drill smiles out from the packaging, and you smile back, picturing a peaceful commute, the first in years. You sleep soundly, and the next day onlookers look on at you jealously. The whistler sneers as he sips his latte. Anything but perfection is not enough for him. You sleep blissfully, although you're now thirty. The next day, everyone at the station wears the same industrial-grade ear defenders. The whistling man weeps openly, unheard, as you and your fellow commuters stare forward blankly. Because you're minutes in traffic. It's hot and your partner sits in the passenger seat, refreshing his emails. He's clearly agitated. Your two children sit in the back of the car, both watching separate iPads. You are pleased for their generation. You remember doing nothing but staring out the window, but you can't quite shift a nagging doubt that it might not be good for them. Eventually the traffic eases and you find the speed of the motorway soothing. At one point, you look back and see the kids looking out of the window at the rolling fields. We'll be there in 50 minutes, you tell them, turning off the sat-nav. You know the rest of the way well. You grew up here. You arrive at the road where you used to live, and the kids are at the peak of their excitement, rushing around, eager to get going. You already feel calmer, carrying blankets and food the short walk to the beach. When you arrive, you and your partner find a good spot and do nothing for an hour or two while your kids play safely in the water. Eventually, your husband takes the youngest to go and get fish and chips. Your son sits with you and his wet clothes stick to him. 
He drags his hands through the sand, and although you can't tell what he's thinking, he looks as if he wants something else. Your husband texts you to say there's a long queue, and even though he has placed the order, there's still a 30-minute wait. Oh well, you think to yourself, what's 30 more minutes sat in the sun? And at this moment, a stone hits your sunglasses. It jerks you out of your calmness, and you snap your head back in shock, realizing that the stone hit your glasses, and that your eye is fine. Your son has been throwing stones into the dunes for at least 10 minutes, and although you knew it wasn't on purpose, a part of you noticed that he was gradually throwing them nearer and nearer to where you're sat, wanting you to share his unease, which you do. While dutifully telling him off, your brain drifts back to your late 20s when you often thought about suicide, how much of it was depression, and how much of it was intrusive thoughts brought on by your OCD, you don't know. Either way, you're on the beach now, and you just want him to know that even if it was an accident, it's still upsetting when someone you love hurts you. He sees his dad in the distance and runs to meet him, but also to be somewhere unhurt. Okay, the third story of the podcast is called you can't live in their house. You can't live in that house. Everyone who has tried regrets it. Everyone who tries to live there learns the same lesson. To most people, death happens in an instant. The people that live there know differently. The first time they sit and look out of the window, all seems well. They can't see that the view from the house changes them and that their eyes register things subconsciously, and although they feel the same, they are now viewing the same thing differently. The next day, everything still feels the same, and the figures go back to the window. If it looks all right, it must be all right, they think. Somewhere, other people talk about the same theory, but with a different name, and they say that there is no such thing as irreparable damage. But the system they use to measure parameters freezes, and they don't know why, for just a tenth, no, a twelfth of a moment in its total operational time. That doesn't sound right, they say. You should check again. It might be worse, but the figures are unreliable, and there are no exact numbers to go by. Time passes for them, but they are stuck, and two-thirds of them continue. The last third wobbles so as not to alert their subconscious. Some days they look with all the purpose of someone at full capacity. Their thoughts push outwards, reaching to hold onto worn handholds and grip them firmly. In the report it says that they tried to measure them but couldn't find any more conscious sensation within them. The knowledge that their thoughts will retract back appears to give them more feeling. This has been proven to be a falsehood. Instead it appears to be a self-regulating cycle and the nearest the subjects come to noticing any change. In simple terms, it resembles something like a measurable 3.5 instead of a 3. How does the extra 0.5 come to exist, they ask? It doesn't. And although they are unaware of it, their thoughts learn the pattern of gripping and giving up. The excitement creates a false feeling of normality on top of the false belief that they are operating at a full third. Although he is sat surrounded by people he loves and is talking with an arm loosely around the shoulder of one he loves desperately, he looks out of the window and back at her hair 
The grip is so strong this time that it lasts for days and days, and when it loosens, he cries and cries. Uh, This next story is called Left to Chance. You are worried that in the future anything could be anywhere and that things will constantly switch places and they will do so at such speeds that people would try to understand but as they started to understand they themselves would be moved which in turn would create another chain of movement. You find this so repulsive that you take great pains in life not to move anything or at least if you do move something to put it back as well as you possibly can. Quite soon into this realisation, you have to stop having guests over. Not only could you not track their changes, but also you can't bring yourself to make them aware of their own place in this tedious system. You line the walls and surfaces of your house with white tape to keep everything clear. Things have worsened, and now you're forced to consider and visualise sounds. Of course, now in our time they dissipate harmlessly, but in the near future they will hang boldly in the air, swapping with other words and other noises. You devise a plan to limit your options as significantly as possible. You order two bags of cement, which you would have driven and collected yourself, but your car recently failed its MOT, which you find very upsetting. Anyhow, you celebrate the concrete's arrival with a glass of water. You then start digging the hole. Where the soil will end up, you don't know, but must live with. Now that the cement is mixed right, which was harder than you thought it would be, You lie down in it and plan to never change again. Unfortunately, before you do so, your thoughts become permanent and swap with words like these until your thought is heard by others who aren't dark and wet like you are. Everyone is you. Suddenly, you're in a world where everyone is you. Are you happy? You walk to a nearby cafe and order a flat white which another you struggles to make, as you've never worked as a barista. You're patient with yourself, though, as you've worked in retail and you know how thankless it can be, slash is. You smile at yourself and say, don't worry, but you aren't very good at smiling unless you really mean it. So the other you looks at you strangely. They are also not very good at hiding their expression, and you both laugh at this because you both like silly things. The cafe is full of people reading, because you love reading. You also love knowing what people are reading, so when you find a spot, you sit down and try to look around. Unfortunately, you also have a habit of hiding what you are reading. Sometimes you feel like the book is too showy, or you don't want people to see that you're reading something depressing. You also realise that everyone is reading fiction, and you wonder how a society based on escapism might work. Politics ceases to work overnight. Your parents taught you to always try to help people and that kindness is the best virtue. They also taught you to always ask because you don't get what you want if you're too afraid to ask. You are reasonably smart but you don't have what it takes to study things like medicine. So the average lifespan plummets and the world becomes increasingly forlorn. You've always hated change changed massively. The face of agriculture changes entirely as you don't eat meat and you definitely won't be killing animals in abattoirs. You do, however, continue to breed chickens for eggs, which you think is a bit hypocritical, but also fine. Although you never learn to trade, you're strong and work hard when you have a clear goal. 
your world's future focuses on feeding people and sources of natural beauty. Of course there is crime, as a part of you always does the easiest thing, and although you generally believe the world to be fairer, you still sometimes make bad decisions. You quickly abolish prison, seeing how hard it is to imprison yourselves and how easy it is to forgive your other selves. You adopt a cultural exchange. Please be nice to me, because I am you. And although it isn't your intention, some of you become worked up and a bit zealous about it. There's no need for religion now, as everyone gets what they want and understands what each other want. Relationships continue, and although everyone is you, it is surprising how different you can look as you live different lives. As everyone is you, there's no procreation, and ultimately you die out. But you have left behind a legacy of art. It became a cultural norm for everyone to write at least one book in their lifetime and add it to an enormous library. There is no one left to read it, but it doesn't matter because you are dead.